Welcome to Helping Challenging Children. This podcast is for adults who want to understand why children behave the way they do and how to support them to increase their ability to self-regulate and to become more independent. My name is Dr. Pat McGuire. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician who and I have been working with these children for over 30 years, and I can tell you that with the right support, they all do great. So enjoy these podcasts, and hopefully you learn a little bit each time. Today, I'd like to talk about who are the juveniles in the legal system. I worked with a number of children and adolescents during my career who had one or more encounters with the juvenile justice system. One young man comes to my mind frequently. I knew why he behaved the way he did. He had authoritarian parents, which means that they never acknowledged his skills or progress. They only told him what he hadn't done well enough. He was not allowed to give suggestions of how to do anything. He was not to disagree or else he would receive verbal and physical punishment. Because of the makeup of his temperament and some biologic issues such as ADHD, he was more vulnerable to the environmental pain he received and to acting out rather than submitting meekly. He was also witness to domestic abuse and substance abuse issues. But the system only addressed his behaviors, not the whys behind them. One of the interventions that he was put through was an after-school boot camp to get him to follow the rules. It really was set up as a boot camp where the adolescents were told that they had no say, no rights, and anything they did which was not accepted, no matter what the reason would earn them punishment. He spent a lot of time in solitaire or doing push-ups and running miles. This is what he was already experiencing at home. He needed a different approach, but never got one. At one point, he and a fellow enrollee got so fed up that they planned and executed an attack on the camp's vehicles. Basically, it was vandalism. So much for the boot camp. In the US, one child in every 38 will have encounters with the juvenile justice system. According to the Children's Defense Fund 2021, the State of America's Children Report, 1,909 children are arrested in the U.S. each day. They range in age from the teens to as young as preschoolers. Many children, mostly children in poverty, children of color, children with disabilities, children with mental health and substance abuse abuse challenges, children subjected to neglect, abuse, and or other violence, children in the foster care system, and LGBTQ children are pushed out of their schools and homes and into the juvenile justice or adult criminal justice systems. So what do we know about the children and adolescents who end up in the juvenile justice system? The Northwestern Juvenile Project studied a randomly selected sample of 1,829 youth who were arrested and detained in Cook County, Illinois between 1995 and 1998. 
The participants were between 10 and 18 years old at the time they entered the juvenile facilities. They were followed for 15 years, the longest follow-up to date on youth that have resided in juvenile facilities. Their findings were much more informative than the previous ones, which only looked three to five years out from their releases. A major issue that wasn't addressed with most of the detainees were psychiatric disorders and functional impairment. Only 15% had been treated in detention, and most of those were diagnosed before being arrested and detained. The reality is that 66% of males and 74% of females met the criteria of a psychiatric disorder at the baseline interview. In addition, 51% of males and 47% of females met the diagnostic criteria of substance abuse disorders at baseline. One cause of psychiatric disorders would be past histories of trauma. 93% of detainees had been exposed to at least one trauma based on the ACEs study. 11% met criteria of post-traumatic stress disorder. Of those detainees with PTSD, 93% also met criteria for comorbid psychiatric disorders. There was one form of trauma which was almost universal for this, these detainees. Four out of five reported having been physically abused. Most, however, did not have documentation in health and human service records or other records. Only 17% had records of abuse and those were ones with the greatest level of abuse and or need for medical attention due to their abuse. In addition to psychiatric issues, these detainees also had significant impairments in functional ability. This refers to the ability to function in a variety of day-to-day -day activities, such as academics and social relationships. There are eight domains of functioning which are looked for in these youth. The domains are school or work. More than one in three youth were severely impaired academically. Learning impairments were extremely common. Home, which dealt with being able to follow reasonable rules and perform age-appropriate tasks, there one in 14 youth were severely impaired. For the community, do community domain, uh, they looked at how well they respected the rights of others, others' properties and the laws. Over one half of the youth were severely impaired and they were mostly males. Behavior toward others, the domain looked at interpersonal behavior, which was appropriate. And in this case, one in 10 were severely impaired, such as they were bullies and exploitative of others. Looking at the moods and emotions domain, one in 50 were severely impaired and these were mostly females. For the self-harm domain, one looks at self-harmful thoughts or behavior such as cutting. One out of 250 youth, mostly female, were severely impaired. Substance use domain showed that one quarter of youth were severely impaired. For the thinking domain, which is the ability to use rational thought processes, one in 250 were felt to be severely impaired. So with all this going on, what were the long-term outcomes of these detainees? When looked at 15 years later, 64% of males and 35% of females who had a psychiatric disorder at baseline 
continue to have a disorder or other disorder 15 years later. These youth had perceived barriers from mental health services, which played a role in this. Approximately 85% of detained youth with psychiatric disorders reported at least one perceived barrier to accessing services. The most common barrier was their belief that problems would go away without help or that individuals could solve problems independently. Youth also reported that they were unsure of where or how to obtain help and that help was too difficult to obtain. Many of these beliefs were common to their family and community. There was also an increased mortality rate in these youth. There was also an increased mortality rate in these youth. At an average of seven point years post attainment, the mortality rate was four times greater than the rate of the general population. The mortality rate for females was nearly eight times the rate of the general population. 96% of these deaths were homicide or legal interventions leading to death. So I started wondering, could these numbers be lowered? The answer is yes, but it would take a major shift in how our population sees care of children and those with mental health problems. Currently, many of the issues are seen as criminal with imprisonment and taking away kids to kinship care or foster care. This does nothing to help heal wounds and develop skills. Full funding for early intervention services for children zero to five in at-risk households would provide support to parents who may not have parenting skills to, due to how they were raised. They may have PTSD themselves, or at least anxiety, depression, and substance use problems due to how they were raised. Schools need to be more uniformly trauma-informed. There needs to be adequate funding so all schools can have school nurses, counselors, psychologists, and social workers. Currently, there are 14 million students in schools who have a police present, but no nurses, counselors, social workers, or psychologists. As has been discussed in police reform in general, the use of other professionals first could drastically drop the arrest rates and deaths if the person in stress is provided with counseling and support rather than commands and threats. We also need to change the view of the courts on juveniles who commit crimes. Brain research has shown us for a long time that brain development doesn't reach full maturity until the mid-20s. Before that, youth are still more irrational and more impulsive. Youth who grew up with repeated traumas may not reach that level of maturity due to how the trauma changed the development of the brain. Many judges and prosecutors, however, are moving more juveniles to adult courts and adult prison facilities where they will be further traumatized to the point that they will never be positive contributors to society. They won't get the educational instruction provided in juvenile facilities or many of the rehab interventions to try to make up for the trauma that they have experienced. But even juvenile facilities have problems and some youth are further traumatized there. Children do not belong in adult prisons. Incarceration does not support the growth and development of our children. It places them at risk and limits their access to resources. While incarcerated, children are often provided with inadequate educational instruction, health care, 
and counseling services, and they are at greater risk for maltreatment, physical and psychological abuse, sexual abuse, and suicide. The use of solitary confinement further deprives them of social interaction, mental stimulation, and key services during a critical time of adolescent brain development. Youth of color and A and LGBTQ youth are at heightened risk of being placed in solitary confinement, and youth with disabilities are often placed in isolation due to the lack of available services or accommodations. No child should be placed in solitary confinement regardless of their identity. Risks are heightened for children in the adult criminal justice system, which is even more focused on punishment than rehab and treatment. Children in adult jails are more likely to suffer permanent trauma and five times more likely to die by suicide than children held in juvenile detention centers. According to the Juvenile Justice Bulletin of 2015, findings also suggest that transferred youth from juvenile to adult services may have a greater need for psychiatric services than the the detained adults. Previous research indicates that less than 35% of detained adult males have a psychiatric disorder, excluding antisocial personality disorder. In contrast to the 64% of transferred youth who have a psychiatric disorder, even when conduct disorder is excluded. This study found that the six month prevalence rate of major depression for transferred youth was 16% and was three times greater than the rate of depression over a lifetime as reported by adult male detainees at 5%. A great deal of our society has been focused on authoritarian methods of control, be it in homes, schools, churches, or the legal system. This means that punishment is the answer for everything that is, that is not what the people in control have deemed as appropriate. Research is repeatedly showing us that these methods are toxic for most members of society. Instead of an authoritarian method, an authoritative approach would show the child or adolescent that they are an important part of the home, school, church, or community. It does not assume that a child is being defiant if a task is not done. Instead, the adult makes certain that the child is taught the skills needed to do the task even if it may take a while and require supports. The instructions and expectations are clear and fair. The child receives supportive encouragement and fair and non-judgmental critiques to help the child improve. Discipline using choices and consequences that make a direct connection to what the expectations are will help the child uh, improve their skills. Adults need to be consistent in terms of expectations and routines so the child doesn't feel anxious about what is coming next or what is expected. We also need to listen to children. We need to take their opinions into consideration, not that they get the final say, but that they know that they are heard and that you recognize that they are thinking and trying to find compromise. We also need to be more demonstrative in showing affection and saying that we care about the child and how he's doing. And finally, we need to provide opportunities for children to make choices. There are, these are also models of how corporations are now realizing 
that they need to treat their employees if they want to stay successful. There is no reason to make a child wait until he's grown and has a job to show this form of respectful leadership. It needs to start at birth and build from there. This would improve our society and economy and decrease the financial impact of unaddressed developmental trauma that leads into more police action and more juvenile facilities and more adult prisons.